Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride, or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL Atlanta. Second edition. home. Second yeah, home, is, man. This is definitely a second home for us. Anytime that we in the A is a blessing. So, first and foremost, shout out to the good city of Atlanta. We got yeah. this is our second biggest market, but it feels like home for us. Um, so, you know. I saw, if, I saw somebody uh, that put us in as an Atlanta based podcast. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Like, yo, tag the Atlanta based podcast. Somebody was like, earn your leisure. I'm like, I appreciate it. But. That's dope. <laughs> So yeah, today we got a we got a definitely uh, exciting episode. One of Atlanta's legends, yeah, <laughs> a, a legend. legend in the town. That's a fact. A legend in the town, Michelle Snoop Dillard. Um, her story is mind boggling. I actually did some some reading on. It's very very interesting story, and she's a serial entrepreneur. We're gonna talk about all of her businesses that she owns. Uh, you think we got enough time? Yeah, you want you want, <laughs> you want to run it down right now? There, there, there's so many, man. I mean, we are gonna get into it, um, but there's just so many. Like I said before, if we had uh, a meme, like what a serial entrepreneur is, like this is the living embodiment of it, and the story is just so crazy. Um, by way of Detroit, we gotta shout yeah, out to shout D. Out to the D shout out to D too. Yeah, up, that's though? a fact. Um, um, so, and then Tennessee plays a part, but we are gonna get into yeah. all that because yeah. it's, it's a long list, y'all. So re- <laughs> restaurant tour. 
um, nail salon owner. Um, she's also a teacher. Um, she actually, I just found out, used to be in the financial services industry. Financial advisor. Financial advisor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she has a background in, in investments, yep. insurance, retirement, stuff like that. Real estate license. Long journey. Yeah, uh, for sure. Do uh, you have your own publications? Yeah, for sure. And um, we're actually in her establishment right now. Members Only is one of one of her establishments. Yeah. She has a couple others. Um, Crave Restaurant, Escobar, Atlanta, Escobar, Southside. Uh, Remedy Salon Suites, Nail Salon, and uh, now we're in members only. And Anything? Crave, and Crave. Crave, Crave, Crave. Shout out to, yeah, I, did, I said Crave. Okay. And her, one of her business partners is uh, 2 Chains. <laughs> might have heard of him. True. <laughs> <laughs> you might have heard of him. True. Shout out, shout out to Chain. Shout out to Chain. So, yeah, this is going to be an interesting, you know, conversation. Anytime that we get a chance to talk to entrepreneurs, it's always a blessing, and people always get a lot of value and information. So, first and foremost, before we start, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for yeah. having me. It's always, you know, uh, humbling to even be looked at as interview worthy. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely appreciate that. Nah, nah. So let's let's start at the beginning because, uh, like I said, your story is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like um, you you just wasn't born into being an entrepreneur. You right. you had some adversity, and then you actually went to one of the best colleges in America mm-hmm. at young age, mm-hmm. and then you, like I said, worked in the financial industry. So, can you talk about your story and like how did you get into the to the business world? You think we got enough time? <laughs> no, we don't. But, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so just a little bit about me. Um, as you guys said, you know, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, grew up in Detroit. I kind of came from, I came from a family of hustlers. My dad was a big time, big time drug dealer. Um, my mom, her family, she kind of came from a lot of adversity. Her mother and sister was murdered when she was 14, so just grew up pretty quickly Um, Met my dad at a young age, had me and my brothers. um, And, of course, being in in the type of environment, you know, where your father is selling drugs, of course, a lot of times some of the right decisions is made. And so there was a situation where somebody kind of kicked our door in, shut up the whole house, and caused my mom to leave my dad. And so uh, she ended up just kind of like fleeing, wanting to flee the whole city, you know, because she felt like it was so many negative influences, you know, especially more so for my two younger brothers, you know, and didn't mm-hmm. want to see them, you know, trying to get into the game and things of that nature and wanted to show them that, you know, there were other means, you know, to be able to make money, you know, other than just the street life. So uh, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I already was kind of a couple of grades ahead. So I started school when I was three. And um, so when we moved to Nashville, they initially was trying to, you know, put me back into my original grade. And so they were like, okay, well, we're going to give her this test, you know, to see if she can even, you know, be, I think maybe I was going into like the fifth grade or something like that. And so when they tested me, I actually tested for the seventh grade. Mm. And so my mom was like, nah, just at least let her be in the fifth grade. Don't put her in the, in the third grade. But, you know, she's only, you know, such and such. I think I was like eight at the time, you know what I'm saying? So. Um, anyway, started school young, um, ended up getting pregnant the first time I had sex um, when I was in high school. So I had my daughter extremely young, um, got pregnant when I was 14, had her when I was 15, um, had kind of just kept it as a secret, you know, from my whole family, was really just, you know, a terrified kid. Um, the family had already been through so much, and it was just kind of like one of them little lifetime things, child, where, you know, I'm holding the shit in and not telling nobody. So um, 
Once my mom ended up finding out, she was like so distraught about it. She tried to get me to put my daughter up for adoption. So my daughter actually spent the first four years of her life in foster care. Um, shout out to my daughter. She actually works for my company too. She's mm -hmm. um, goes to Georgia State, um, Dean's List student. Uh, definitely one of the parts of, of you know my life that I'm extremely proud of. You know everything definitely happens for a reason, but. Um, that was kind of like the start to, you know, the adversity, you know, for me. Um, but even after that, you know, I ended up going to Vanderbilt University at the age of 16. Um, shout out to VU Commodores. Um, <laughs> we can't let that go. That's one of the best <laughs> business schools, like, in the country. It is. It is. I actually, man, I had a great experience at Vanderbilt. I originally did not want to go. Um, you know, just, just. Kind of growing up in Nashville, I always wanted to get back to Detroit, which is where the roots was, which yeah. is where the majority of our family was. We were the only ones that were in Nashville. You know, nobody else came there. They, everybody thought it was slow, as so did me and my brothers. And so all three of us, you know, just always, as soon as we were able to, wanted to leave, you know, Nashville, Tennessee. But, um, you know, at the time, you know, I had just, you know, had gotten pregnant. You know, my mom didn't know about it and all of that stuff. So... Uh, once that happened, it was just like, uh-uh, I can't trust you, girl. You ain't going, you ain't leaving this city. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got into Vanderbilt, and it was just kind of like, how can you turn that down, you know? And I had, had some scholarships and things of that nature. So um, ended up going to Vanderbilt, had a great experience. But my, my experience was uh, a little bit different than how I am now. And it's so funny because a lot of the people that I went to college with, you know, they're always like, man, I'm like now, you know, they're like, oh, man, I knew you was going to be, like, super successful and stuff like that. And I'm like, how? That even went to class. Like, how you pick that up? You know what I mean? So, because I was literally, I literally, like, grew up on the college campus. You know, you just imagine. Um, I had never even, as a high school student, I, re I remember hanging out with friends, like, maybe twice. You know what I mean? Mm. Out of the whole four years of going to school. And, you know, like, I played basketball, so I got... You know, some socialization. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard we know. got some hoop dreams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got some socialization there, but I wasn't like your typical, you know, definitely not like how I am now. I'm a very social person. So, you know, somebody would expect like in high school, I was always hanging out or had a bunch of friends. And I did right then. But once I went home, you know, that was pretty much it. I wasn't like the type that was going to the movies, going to the mall, skating rings and different things of that nature. So. Um, you know, you look at somebody that kind of grew up like sheltered like that. And then, you know, I go to college, you know, that young living on the campus. Um, and so I pretty much kind of wilded it out. You know, I started DJing, getting into throwing parties, um, messing with girls. I mean, you name it. It has you know? begun. <laughs> <laughs> you name it. I was doing it. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, the, the education part was honestly the back burner for me. And I, I really, you know, a lot of times I look back on it now that I'm so thirsty for knowledge because being an entrepreneur, you know, I have to teach myself things. You know, I have to get my own training and, you know, make sure I'm watching YouTubes and different podcasts and, you know, going to seminars and different things of that nature because, you know, I'm the boss and I have a lot of people up under me. So even if somebody think I'm doing something wrong, they ain't not going to tell me. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So... And I ain't going to tell them if I don't quite know what I'm doing, yeah. you know what I mean? So, um, but I, I definitely, you know, do wish that I would have taken advantage, especially going to a college as prestigious as Vanderbilt, you know, where there's so much to learn, so many different courses and things of that nature. But um, I guess it just kind of all worked out the way that it did because I think that kind of brought out like my alter ego, which is Snoop. So it's like my shell <laughs> versus Snoop. So, um but anyways, I graduated from Vanderbilt at 20 and um, like that. I mean, 
that's impressive in itself, right? Like you're saying yeah. to yourself, like just now, like I really didn't pay attention to the academics part, but like you graduated yes, with a yeah. degree. <laughs> and I mean, when I tell you I was bad, man, like I, my GPA was not the highest. I probably graduated with like a 2.7 GPA. Like That's good just, enough to get out. Just ski it up out of that thing. You know what I'm saying? I went to summer school, had to go to summer school every single summer. Uh, wanted to go to summer school every single summer because I love being on campus and, you know, doing what I wanted to do and partying and all of that stuff. There's not <clears throat> probably not one black student that went to Vanderbilt during those four years that I was there that don't know who I was. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so after that, um, like I said, I was 20 when I graduated. I wasn't even old enough to have a drink. When I went to college, I didn't even have my driver's license. My friends taught me how to drive. Um, I literally got my driver's license the week after I graduated <laughs> from, um, from college. But, um, and so after that, and so then I also got my daughter as well. So, uh, you know, it's like now it was time to be a mother and decide what I was going to do and, you know, all of these different things. And so, uh, immediately after that, my, um, great grandmother, she had always, you know, kind of, uh, talked about and, you know, uh, her financial advisor, you know, and, she was always the one in the family who had, you know, the most money. And, you know, she was always talking about her assets and kicking people out the wheel and who she was going to lead this to and lead that to. And so um, this financial advisor was somebody that she kind of put on the pedestal. And so I kind of said to myself, well, maybe that's something, you know, that I should get into. You know, my degree was in economics. Um, and so, you know, I was just like, okay, let me check that out. And so, you know, to be a financial advisor, you have to get your – Series 7, 66 licenses, and your life and health insurance licenses. And so during the time that I was studying for those licenses, um, I ended up working at a very popular club in Nashville um, that was owned by, it was just like kind of one guy, his name was Mo, who owned a lot of the, you know, lounges and clubs there. So I kind of said to myself, I said, I said, self, I said, you know, you should work in this, you know, this club lounge environment, because you're never going to be in an environment like this ever again. Little did I know that I would end up owning, you know, several of them <laughs> myself, um, decades on down the line or whatnot. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, so I worked there, but I just felt like I was always, you know, going to Vanderbilt. You know, you think that you're going to be in this corporate, you know, lifestyle. Most of my friends that I went to school with, everybody was going to graduate school except for me. You know, mm -hmm. they, they are had kind of come from two-parent households, and, and their lives were planned out, you know what I mean? They knew coming into their freshman year that I'm going to law school after this, you know, I'm going to doctorate school after this, or I'm going to get my Ph.D. or whatever the case may be. So for me, you know, I had already had a child, and, you know, I, I didn't grow up like that. So it, it was just like just for me, graduating from Vanderbilt was kind of That's, enough, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, so anyways, <clears throat> ended up, once I... Ended up working there. Once I got my licenses, I transitioned into this corporate lifestyle and uh, was basically, you know, had to dress up, wear a suit to work every day. Um, I'll never forget, I had, I had <laughs> got my nose pierced in college, and uh, the guy was white guy. Um, and the name of the company, it was American Express Financial Advisors, so they were super uppity. And so I remember the very first day, you know, I walked in and, you know, I'm thinking I'm looking good. And I'm in my, you know, I was I was dressed real feminine back then, you know. So I'm in my little, nice little blazer, skirt and stuff. And, you know, he walk in and, he, you know, he's like. And immediately <laughs> made me take that thing out. I'm like, oh, child. They don't say anything. They just, just gesture. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so um, 
So anyways, I did end up enjoying that experience because it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about finances. It taught me a lot about the stock market. It taught me the importance in saving a lot of like the basic financial principles that I use to this day that, that has helped me get to where it is that I am. Um, and I was very successful in doing it. You know, they, it, that was kind of a career that was more so independent, you know, um, you really didn't necessarily have to clock in. You did kind of have to come in at a certain time, but you really kind of made your own schedule and had your clients and different things of that nature. And so um, I was becoming very successful at that, but they ended up closing um, that particular office in Nashville. And so when they did that, um, we had the opportunity to either stay to either stay with the company, move somewhere else, or to open up your own, you know, office. And so at the time, I, I was also working on getting, I, I had started investing in real estate. And so um, there was a guy, um, a black guy that I'm really close with to this day. Um, he was probably about, I mean, if I was 21 at the time, he was probably maybe 34 or something like that. But anyway, he was very real known. Um, he had bought up a lot of property in Nashville and things of that nature. And so somebody had put me in touch with him and they was like, you know, you should go work with him, you know, in his office, you know, he'll really help mentor you and things of that nature. Um, shout out to Lee Millett. And so I ended up going and working with him. His wife was a dentist. She had a dentist practice right below us. And so um, he ended up encouraging me to get my real estate license. Um, and then he actually let me, him and his wife let me sell their like $2 million home, you know, mm. um, and so anyway, they that's, got your, that's me, your first deal. I, that was my very first deal. And so that got me a nice chunk of money. I ended up, you know, furthering myself into that. And then, so I was doing a financial advice and I was doing a real estate. This is around 2008, 2009, where, Ooh. you know, you got this stock Ooh. market crash where those are like kind of two of the worst industries to be in at that time. Um, and then also at that time in my personal life, um, I had kind of got like my first girlfriend that I really actually cared about. And she had a very, very wild side to her. Shout out to the Scorpios. <laughs> um, but she had a very wild side to her. And it, it kind of brought out a lot of that college, you know, that college snoop, uh, if you will. <laughs> and so her and I, at the time, you know, so I was making money. I was doing well. And so I said to myself, you know, I, I need to, like, the, the three people that I spend the most time with, I should be making money with them. And so, of course, the main one was her. Um, she was modeling and different things of that nature. And so I said, you know, I was like, you know, we should do a calendar together. Uh. You know, we should get um, 12 of the hottest women in Nashville. And let me tell you, that was hard to find. <laughs> shout out I'm to like, Nashville. Nashville. We got some Cash people in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to our boys, Slim Huskies. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Clint. Yeah, Colin, Clint and Mo. Cool. Those are those yeah, are the, that's cool. our that's yeah, our yeah. fan. I'm cool with them too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, I was like, you know, we should do this calendar, and so we did. Um, I'm the type of person that, like, if I can dream it, I can make it come true. You know what I'm saying? And so we did this calendar. We called it. Uh, we named it Wet Dimes and the Key. And so the models were called the Wet Dimes. And so first, I formed a model management company. And I had all of the girls that were in the calendar signed to my management company. Um, and then so we did this calendar. We produced it. And, you know, I think we our first batch was maybe like 5,000 calendars. And so the calendar came out nice and everything. And so then it was like, okay, well, how, how much would you say? How much was on the calendar for? $20. Yeah. $20. $20. And then now uh, we also did a behind the scenes DVD. So uh. we got really wild while we were doing the calendar. <laughs> there was always a lot of alcohol around and 
few other things. And so um, we filmed everything that was happening. And so we also had the DVD. I think the DVD was 25. And so then it was just like, okay, well, how do we get this off the ground? You know, we got to, now we got to sell them. You know what I mean? I invested all this money into this calendar. How, how much was the investment into the calendar itself? Um, I would say I probably spent about $7,000 okay. into this project. Now, mind you, I was still a financial advisor in real estate, but at this time, child, I'm no longer interested. in This is now, this, this is full-blown Snoop now. This is full-blown Snoop. <laughs> this is 2008, 2009. Ain't nobody trying to invest with me. Yeah. <laughs> People are losing their houses like that. Also, at the time, I had also owned six investment properties. I was probably about 23, you know, and I owned the house that I was living in. It was a really nice house on the golf course. Um, so I had definitely, you know, made a small success for myself that I would end up losing everything very shortly thereafter. So um, we did this calendar, and so then it was like, okay, now we have to push it. So then I decided, okay, well, what we'll do is I'll start, we'll start promoting nights at different venues, and I'll have the Wet Dimes host, the girls always bring everybody to the party. It's true. And then I'll have them in there selling the calendars. And so that's what we did, and that was how I became a promoter and started to get into the hospitality industry and see the behind the scenes of the hospitality industry. And so I'm always the type of person, like, I want, I want to be at the top, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, I'm the promoter, but, you know, I'm always having these conversations with the lounge owner or the club owner. And so that kind of made me want to know what it was like, you know, yeah. to be an owner. And so um, I ended up shortly thereafter – opening up my first spot in Nashville at the age of 24. It was called the G Spot. I actually have it tattooed on my neck. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and do. that was how I lost all of my money because, um, number one, you know, the, the club, we just we didn't do it right. Um, I didn't know anything about doing venues at the time. The mm -hmm. people that I was working with were kind of crooks. Apparently, they didn't know anything. Either. So, like, when you say you didn't do it right, because we haven't really covered the um, nightlife yet. Like, we interviewed Kenny. Shout out to Kenny Burns. That's our guy. Another Atlanta legend. Yeah, 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 you know. But as far as we haven't interviewed a club owner mm -hmm. yet, I don't think so. I didn't so. have, like, the right licenses and permits. Liquor oh. license? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We pretty much just opened up the door on some ghetto. <laughs> like, we're open. Like, uh, initially, yeah. that was, like, the dream, right? It was like, yo, I want to get into this life. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, like, now the the Wet Dimes, that, the club thing, did that become a tour? Or, like, because I was, I was trying yes, to figure that no, out. we did. We did. We went to various cities. We went to Birmingham. We came here to Atlanta. And so we also went to other places. And what we would do is pull up to the strip clubs, like, in the parking lots and stuff like that. And get the calendars off. And I would always take my girlfriend and maybe a couple other models. I used to have these models come to my house three days a week. They had to work out. Um, <laughs> some of them lived with us. Snoop the general. crazy. I had three stripper poles. <laughs> I mean, those was the days. Yeah. Um, so anyways, um, ended up doing my first spot um, with some people that just, you know, were not good business people. Um, I didn't have good business practices at the same time myself. Wasn't as familiar with, you know, the licenses and the requirements and things of that nature that were required to be legally open. And Nashville at the time was not a city either that promoted black businesses, mm -hmm. um, especially not the way that Atlanta does. So I ended up losing my entire investment and that spot was shut down within about two months. About how much money we lost? I lost $40,000 in that's that tough. spot. That's tough. Um, also at the same time, so remember I was telling you I had all these little rental properties and stuff where a lot of the people that were in those rental properties, they couldn't pay their rent and things of that nature. So um, I had like one last property 
And I ended up turning that into a spot called the Kitty Cabin. I don't know if y'all read about that. I did not. I did not. <laughs> but I, and I actually did that with my homegirl. Um, she don't mind if I talk about it, but um, her name is Brooklyn Tankard. She was on that reality show, her whole family, the Tankards, um, on VH1. But uh, we did that together, and that was a spot where we would have, like, girls dance and kind of do a few other things. And so... Um, <laughs> That spot got shut down oh, around the same I time. Door, door was kicked in. And so uh, uh, it was a lot, man. It was a lot that I went through. And so after that, you know, both of my sources of income was shut down. Um, of course, the lady I was dealing with was gone by the end. Child, I'm dried up. Ain't got no money. Nothing going Money on. dried up and she's gone. <laughs> right. Typical. And so, uh, exactly. <laughs> and so at that point, it was kind of like, you know, what am I going to do? And so, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of went back to, uh, something that I knew that kind of helped me get through different times, which was, um, you know, being in the streets myself, selling drugs, things of that nature. And uh, once I had kind of hustled up on a little bit of money, um, I had met some guys that had a, an idea, had kind of put me on an idea, which was um, these mugshot newspapers that were very popular at the time. So I don't know if you guys had seen them, but they were those newspapers that used to sit on the counter in the gas stations. They'd be right up there. And they came out weekly, and they had mugshots of people that had been arrested. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you know, we should do something like this. And so uh, my story is so long. This is Face It. <laughs> this is this is the Face this It publication. Okay, this got it. it. So I um, came up with Face It with a guy that I was associates with at the time. He was from Detroit. And uh, when I tell you, a lot of people from Detroit are crooks. And I can say <laughs> that because I am from Detroit. And, um, you know, a lot of them are just super slick. And so anyway, this guy, we had got this little paper off the ground. Didn't take us no time to get it going. And, I mean, he was so excited. He had never had his own business before. And when I tell you the MF just started stealing out the gate, mm. I mean, like, it was just like could not trust him. Because what we did was we would have somebody put the publication together. It would come out, and then you have to go to the stores and collect your money. Yeah. So, of course, like, if I'm not right there with him, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be honest. Um, then he started changing the banking password and information and stuff like that. And so almost immediately, I was just like, you know what? You can have this. You know, <laughs> I'm not, no amount of money is worth, you know, my peace. I'm not about to be fighting with you daily. You know, at first I kind of came to him with tears in my eyes, like, you know, like, dude, please don't do this. Like, this can be a big business together. You know, like, I have a daughter to feed. You know, I was yeah. the only one that had kids at the time. I'm like, I got a daughter to feed. Like, you know, I'm so really putting in a lot. Are you the Isn't business it? business mind behind these ventures? Because I'm thinking like, yes, this, oh yeah. right? Yeah. So like, you're the one creating the LLC. Everything. So even a publication, that's something that we've never spoke about before. How, what, what's the process of even doing that? Like, what's the startup cost to even do it? it it's not a really big startup cost. Um, you know, the, the main thing that you're going to pay for um, outside of setting up the business is going to be actually having the publication printed. Um, so that's, you know, really your main cost, you know, okay. um, I would say we probably get that And mind you. I pay for all of it cause I was the one in the money I, with the money. I was in the streets, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I think we probably got, get that going with maybe just like $5,000. Okay. So I left, I totally, I let him have it. I left, left it, let him have face it. Um, I started researching, okay, where's another city I can put me one in. And so then I went to Knoxville and I started caught up mm. in Knoxville and um, that ended up being very successful. Then I went to Western Kentucky. I done another edition there. Um, I went to South Florida. 
not South Florida, North Florida. I'm sorry, Tallahassee, St. Petersburg. Code up is different from from Face It. Yeah, it's, okay. ex, it's the same um, idea, but it's a different publication. Because remember, I let old boy have. He can have it. Okay, got you. Still in chair. So um, I had an edition. So I ended up having five different editions, um, and then ended up moving here to Atlanta, Georgia, um, and doing it here in Atlanta as well. Game changer. And so. Um, and so anyways, it was doing okay, but it just, it, it, it never made me a lot of money. You know, I, I never made more than like $60,000 a year, you know, doing this paper. But I also really didn't have to do much. You know, I maybe worked two or three days, you know, out of the week. And so um, how I ended up getting out of that is, is there was a, a white guy that was up under me that I had as, as kind of the face of the company, you know, because you got these hunky-dory <laughs> towns and stuff, you know what I'm saying? They there's going to be some stores that he can get in that they won't let me in. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. So he basically ended up turning on me. You know, he wanted to do a paper himself. You know, um, I never knew it. But there was something he had wanted me to change the name of mine to. I guess he thought that it would make it um, more commercial, you know. And so long story short, there was one week. It was after I moved here. And um, there was just one week where, like, all of my employees quit on me. In one week, you know, so it was like Monday, the graphic designer, Tuesday, a um, couple of the managers, Wednesday, the people that lay the paper out, Thursday, the people that deliver the paper, and then come Friday, you know, this manager, he quits. Yeah, you so know? you leave Tennessee to come to Atlanta. Uh -huh. Within a week, everybody in Tennessee has left you. Not this within a week. I would say this was probably within like the first six months. Six months. You know, of me being here. So then I go there that following week to see what's going on. You know, of course, I have no staff at this point, so I have to go and do everything myself and also see, like, why are all these people quitting? What's going on? I go into the first store, and, of course, I see a, a paper. Mine ain't even on the shelf no more. They didn't took mine off the shelf. I don't know what he done told them. But it's another new paper with this same name that he wanted me to name mine. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he had my list of stores, but I was paying him to carry the paper, so he was able to come in and undercut me. And so... I ended up just letting him have it because there was just no way I could beat him in that, that city. You know what I mean? I wasn't about to move there. I didn't, I was starting to grow, to really become in love with the city of Atlanta um, and wanting to kind of get into some different things here. Yeah. And so, um, and especially, like I said, I, I wasn't even making more than like 55 to $60,000 a year. So I ended up letting him have it. And um, after that, I ended up starting my party bus company mm -hmm. um, with the girl that I was dating at the time. Uh, we started a party bus company together. Uh, it was super successful, uh, but I hated it. Just like I hated it. I didn't like that paper because I was somebody who had been arrested and different things of that nature myself. So I, I never even like felt comfortable telling people what I did for a living because, you know, it's just like I could be in this shit myself. You could be potentially <laughs> be on the cover of the paper. I'm listening to the story, right? And it, it, even when I was reading the story, I'm like, you faced betrayal once. Right. Mm -hmm. And still recovered, came back, You faced it again mm -hmm. and still came back. Like what what was it that inside of you that was just like, you know what, I got to keep going? Because like, I, I could imagine like that. You have to, you know what I'm saying? What you going to do? Lay down and die? You know what I mean? Like, you know, because if you quit, then, you know, you know where you're going to end at. You know what I mean? So it's just like you have no choice but to keep going. And I had always been inspired by just different people's successful stories. There used to be a show back in the day called Behind the Music. Um, that I just we're from loved. that generation. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's okay. We're, yeah. yeah, we know that show. <laughs> and so, um, all of these super successful people that you know everybody is inspired by, they have a story. Everybody 
that is successful has been through these things. You know, nobody just has this perfect story, you know, unless, you know, you are genetically and blessed, genetically blessed. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're was born into being Michael Jackson's kids or born into being Beyonce's kids or something like that. But, you know, the rest of us have had to really work to get where we are. And, you know, you're going to go through some things, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And I feel like the more that you go through, it prepares you t- for the level of success, you know, that God is going to allow you to make it to. And um, I've been through even more things than those, you know, even as being successful, you know what I'm saying? I've had um, people that work for me to try to get my trade secrets, you know what I'm saying? And know that, you know, they're just going to try to open up their own restaurant, stealing reservations, lists, menus, different things of that nature, you know what I'm saying? So those things continue to happen now, not as often, you know, because I, I truly have like a great team around me now, you know what I'm saying? But um, that type of stuff is just a part of the game, you know. In my younger years, um, it didn't feel well, and I, I took some hits, and, you know, I was discouraged and probably kind of went through some lightweight depressions and stuff like that because okay. after that newspaper thing, I really did not know what I was going to do. I was in, in that, that same girlfriend's boutique. My daughter was outside selling bottled waters. I was inside selling $5 smoothies, and now I have a restaurant on that same street right down the street. You know what I'm saying? It just really didn't know. I had made some T-shirts and was selling those, you know what I mean? It just really did not know what I was going to do next. And, you know, in the nick, of the nick of time, I had a house I was flipping that sold, and we ended up buying a party bus. And that that was the first business that I ever owned that made, that grossed over six figures, you mm. know what I mean? And the, so, part, the party bus. The party bus. Mm-hmm. And so it was called Party Bus Kings, based here in Atlanta. Um, a lot of people kind of met me from that first original business, but – I always wanted to get back into, you know, promoting or owning my own, you know, lounge or something like that. So with that party bus company, I just started saving as much money as I possibly could. I went one whole year and I never bought a new nothing, a new shirt, a new pair of pants, new pair of shoes. I mean, I felt totally poor. You know, How, how much did you save? I had a whole different agenda. I probably, that first year, I probably saved about $40,000. Okay. Um, and so I had that. I, I stayed glued into that party bus business for about two years. I used to drive the buses myself on the weekends. What? Um, gave up a lot of weekends to do that. Got to the point I hated drunk people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, after that, you know, I was blessed enough to, um, I had moved to right around the corner from here, Auburn Avenue and Jesse Hill, and there was a little spot that was um, available that I eventually leased, um, and I turned that into the Hookah Hideaway, so that was my first little project here, um, and it was a cornerstone of Atlanta. It was one of really one of the first real after hours, you know, here in the city of Atlanta. And so um, I did Hookah Hideaway. And while I did Hookah Hideaway, um, I got a lot of success there. And I decided I wanted to do another location. I ended up doing Posh Ultra Lounge in Macon. Experienced a similar situation of backstabbers and things of those nature. Uh Uh-huh. Again. But at the same time, um, I also was looking for a spot here in Atlanta. So I was looking for a location here in Atlanta. And uh, when I first moved here, I was enamored by the street, Peter Street, uh, because it was right there in Castleberry Hill. And coming from Nashville, I really wasn't used to seeing like a lot of black-owned restaurants and bars right next to each other. So this was a street of black-owned restaurants and bars and that had good walk-up traffic and things of that nature. And so I really wanted to own something over there, so I went and looked for a spot over there. And... Um, while I was there, so, so I applied for a spot and a couple days later I had a trip to Jamaica. 
So I went on this trip to Jamaica. Long story short, when I come back, um, I'm going through customs, and a custom officer comes up to me and kind of like grabs me by the arm. He was like, are you my shell dealer? And I'm like, yeah. And um, this was only maybe like my second or third time even going out, out the country. So I'm just like, what is this about? So anyway, he takes me to the back, tells me there's a warrant for my arrest in oh. Nashville, Tennessee. And so he's like, you know, do you know what this can be about? And I'm just like, no, not at all. I'm like, I mean, I did used to live in Nashville, Tennessee. And he's like, you know, well, there's this printing company that has a... Now, so when this, this newspaper shut down, you know, they didn't put the last, um, the money that was collected into my account. And so the check that I had wrote that printing company ended up bouncing. At the time, I didn't have money to cover it. Da, 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 da. I just go on with life. I figure it's fine, but you know, white people they don't play about that. <laughs> they had filed a warrant for me, and they was they was like, "This girl gonna we gonna get her one day." So, anyways, um, I ended up going to Clayton County Jail, and um, I was there on no bond. Um, they were waiting to see if Nashville wanted to come pick me up, and they said that they did. And wow. so, um, I stayed in that jail for about two and a half weeks, waiting on them to extradite me to Nashville, Tennessee. So at the same time, I'm still trying to check on business affairs because, mind you, I, I still own the hookah hideaway at this time. Yeah. Um, I'm still in process of doing Posh Ultra Lounge and investing in that spot. And I've also, you know, have put in an application to get a spot um, on Peter Street. So I ended up calling that realtor one day. He has no idea I'm calling him from jail. And so he didn't even hear this story until I told it in an interview. Two chains as well. And so... um. Anyway, I called him, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm just calling to check on that spot, you know. And he was just like, you know, well, you know, unfortunately that one, they don't really want another lounge, you know, in that location. He was like, you know, but there's another location right down the street. He was like, you know, it's not really right there, you know, right by that other stuff that you wanted to be at. But he was like, you know, it's right down the street. It's a nice location. He was like, you know, and it's actually owned by um, a popular rapper, you know, that's, you know, from here in Atlanta. And you know, he said that he heard about you. He knows about the Hookah Hideaway, um, and he's interested in going into business and, and being business partners with you. And I was just like, I'm like, wait a minute now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> and so um, I was just like, well, who is it? Because, you know, to me, just because you say it's a popular rapper, it doesn't mean I want to do business with him because, yeah. you know, some people aren't smart. They aren't good business people, whatever. And so um, I'm like, who is it? And he was like, two chains. And I was like... Okay, you know, because when I had moved here, I really liked his music, and um, I felt like he was intelligent, you know what I mean? So, I was just like, okay, I like the sound of that. Now, you, this is the phone call from jail? I'm in jail. And so, <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, shortly thereafter, it's time for me to go back up to my little cell, and I remember telling my cellmate, who I'm cool with to this day, <laughs> I was just like, girl, I'm about to open up a spot with two chains. <laughs> 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 and I know she probably didn't believe me. You know, because I'm okay, already telling girl. all of them that I own a spot called the Hookah Hideaway and all this. And, you know, people be lying in jail. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you so, think? <laughs> so, anyways, <clears throat> I ended up being extradited. They picked me up like a couple days later. Get me to Nashville. Once I get to Nashville, all of the charges are mysteriously dropped. So, I just sat in this jail cell for two and a half weeks for nothing have to ride in a paddy wagon like this chained up at my arms and my legs to the floorboard and um two chains and right <laughs> and so get up there they drop the charges and so i immediately go back to um atlanta th that same day 
And two days later, I met with Two Chains at um. So they had the BET Awards. He flew back, and the following day, we met at the Hookah Hideaway. And um, I remember like that whole night, I couldn't even really like sleep. And not really just being like starstruck or nothing like that, but I knew that like if we ended up doing this spot, that it would be like life changing for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I was already doing like really well for myself, but I knew that this would get me to you know that next level of success. So um, I remember meeting him, and like the Hookah Hideaway, like is probably not even as large as this one little room. It was maybe a thousand square feet. So. We had a little kitchen that, like, you know, was using deep fryers, you know, to cook. Didn't even have a real kitchen or nothing. And so I'm like, Lord, what if he think it's too small? What if he think it's not, you know, commercial enough? You know, da-da-da-da. So I just thought in my head, well, I'm going to just show him the numbers because we was booming out the trap. You know what I'm saying? Trap jumping. um, And so anyway, he comes in, and we just immediately have a connection. Um, A lot of people kind of say that, like, we act like he actually calls me twin. But, like, a lot of people kind of say that we acted like and stuff like that. But we immediately had a connection, and it was like he was trying to sell himself to me. Like, yeah, so I got these rappers at the time, Back Row <laughs> Fresh, uh, Rest in Peace, Back Rest, rest in Peace, yeah, Rest in Peace. He was alive, you know, Young Dolph, um, a couple other people. So he was just like, yeah, I got this going on, that going on, you know, me and you together, you know, we gone. And so he basically just felt like, yeah, if you can do 40-something thousand a week, at this little spot, ain't no telling what you. So you was do. doing forty thousand a week out the hookah lounge. Out the hookah hideaway. How, how was you doing that? Was it liquor, or like... liquor and food? For, really? Yeah, really? and we were staying up at six o'clock in the morning. We used to, I mean, it used to be like a street block party every single weekend. <laughs> yeah. What's I mean? This is the I feel like this is the the mecca of black business, right? It but is. what what's that process like to even get a lounge? Like, what what are the things that somebody has to do? In order to even... Um, well, so the first thing that you need to do is, number one, you want to find a dope location. You know what I'm saying? That um, um, it's going to have good parking that you don't have to put a lot into, depending upon your budget. Um, you know, secondly, you have to um, get a building permit to even do whatever construction or whatever you're going to need to do. You've got to get your liquor license. Um, you've got to get your food permit. Um, you have to get a business license. Um putting your menu together, staffing, uh, funding, you know, all of those things. So it's a lot that comes into it. And Hookah Hideaway is where I really learned the tricks of the trade. I would say Hookah Hideaway and then that first Escobar, because that first Escobar was my real first restaurant. And so uh, when we first opened, I mean, it was super packed. And a lot of it based off of his name. And, you know, of course, um, he doesn't know anything about the restaurant industry at all, you know, even still to this day. Like, he asked me the other day what was a bar back. <laughs> but, uh, and he says, you know, he gives me my, my credit and says, you know, I wouldn't have none of this shit if it wasn't for you. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And based on the story, and it feels he like. He knows I could do this without him, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, you know, his job is to be two chains and to promote, you know, heavily, you know, what we have going on. Um, but. Um, we just came in and just really worked well together. Um, the trust is there. The respect is there. Um, and I, I had the time to be able to really learn the restaurant industry, to learn how to put a good team together, to learn how to value people, um, just learning so many things, you know what I mean, and taking a lot of the things that I had learned, a lot of mistakes that I had learned in some of those former businesses, you know, and putting those into what I have today. And so fast forward, like you guys said, we've got, um, the two Escobar locations. We're about to do Esco Seafood on Edgewood, right around the corner from here. Um, I ended up deciding to close Hookah Hideaway voluntarily, so I had a five-year lease there, and I decided not to renew my lease and just close that spot for several different reasons. Number one, 
um, the area had a lot of crime. Mm. Um, it was a lot of crime in that area. Um, it got to the point we were just getting such big crowds of people. It kind of scared me. You know what I'm saying? Um, especially in that crime infested area. The spot was really small. Um, I had already talked him into doing this spot members only, which I knew I wanted to be at after hours as well. And I felt like we'll replace that on more of an upscale level and just, you know, sometimes you have to know when the jig is up and when it's time to walk away from something, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but yeah, so, so, so that's how I got here. Let me ask you this. So we in a we in a day and age of COVID nineteen, which <laughs> you're a serial entrepreneur, but all your businesses are brick and mortar. Atlanta's different from everywhere else in the it country is. because it's still open. It is. And nowhere else is really open. It's kind of amazing if you think about it. But how have you been able to manage during COVID? Like you got any advice? Because honestly, what I heard from party promoters is that it's actually up. In like is, Atlanta, like is. right, like the revenue is up because everybody's yeah. coming from all over the country to go party Absolutely. in Atlanta. Absolutely, <laughs> and that is exactly what's happening. Um, we're, you know, I, I I probably travel every two weeks, you know. So during this, I've been to Cabo, I've been to Tulum, I've been to. I just got back yesterday from a trip from L.A. and Vegas, and um, there's no city right now like Atlanta, you know. Um, you wouldn't even think we was going through a pandemic here. Um, <laughs> yeah. See, now y'all have on masks. <laughs> I'm just playing. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, 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 it makes Atlanta a hot spot. Like I got a bunch of friends coming in from Philly tomorrow. So it was crazy because when we shut down, you know, um, I was of course very scared and nervous. You know, I had never been in a situation where my businesses could shut down from anything other than, you know, lack of whatever on, my behalf, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So to just be told that, and then you don't know when you can open again. Um, it just was a very, very scary time. And so then when the governor allowed us to open, um, it was just crazy because I felt like it was going to be slow. You know, I felt like yeah. it would be like a, a slow start, you know what I'm saying? But um, literally our sales at every location are up by about 35 to 40%. Um, that Escobar downtown location I'm talking about, when we closed, we were doing 80000 a week. We're doing like 140000 a week now. Mm. Um, we've got so many, out of, and a lot of it is out-of-towners. you got a lot of Philly, a lot of Detroit. Um, a lot of people from Miami are starting to come up. Miami currently has a curfew now. Um, they got to go to bed at 8 p.m. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, That's um, crazy. Yikes. Yep. So um, it's, it's, people in Atlanta are extremely blessed. You're seeing people buying G-Wagons every other day, you know, people <laughs> are, are jugging, they getting these people, they getting these fraudulent SBA loans. Yeah, that's a fact. That is, all that's they happening. they are yeah. stimulating this city, you know. Yeah. Um, I think Atlanta is going to be one of the only cities that's not going to, you know, have any, you know, issues, you know, come next year. Because a lot of these cities are going to be broke, you know, next year. Because a, a, a lot of these cities, like, one of the reasons why Gover Governor Kemp said that he opened the state up is because... We have so many business owners here, and the business owners here pay so many, so much in taxes. You know, like I have to pay back all of the taxes from everything that we sell. Then we have three percent alcohol taxes that we have to pay. So you know, they taxing us twice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for restaurants and lounges not to be open, and that's where a lot of the money is coming from to pave the roads, to pay the teachers. You know what I mean? And things of that nature. You know, that's really going to hurt a lot of these other cities. So it is really, it is. It's just amazing that, like, this one little city in the country. Now, I think Houston is also similar, but not as many people are traveling to Houston. You know what I mean? Because Atlanta is already a place that a lot of people will be wanting to come to yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then so just the fact that we're open like this, and then you have so many 
choices of restaurants and lounges and things like that to go to, yeah. um, we have definitely felt the effect of being one of the only cities in the country yeah, in the I, country that's open. I feel like when, when people watch the news and they see Texas, the numbers are going up, it kind of, like, you know, we're not going to go to Houston. Mm-hmm. I got a question about this, though, because this is a unique place. Members only is here, but above us is Remedy uh, Sweet Salon. Remedy Salon Suites. Salon Suites. Mm-hmm. So when you were looking for a property, were you looking for um, a multi-level or a mixed-use property to have this vision come to So come to I was only looking for Remedy Salon Suites just okay. to do on my own. Um, I just felt that was an easy business model. You're basically like a landlord with that. So I have 22 suites up there. And, um, you know, you've got stylists, um, estheticians, last techs, different things of that nature. And they rent out their own suite and they mm-hmm. pay rent, you know, once a week. And so I was only looking for that. And then that same landlord that I was on the phone with in jail, <laughs> he was the one that found me that. And uh, then he was like, let me show you this spot downstairs. You know, you may like this. And, you know, I came down here and saw this. And I was just like, this might be cool, you know. I hadn't done another lounge in like two years. And so that was how I found this. So a couple questions. Um, the nail salon business is a really big business. Yeah. And it's been a lot salon of. Salon suites. Sweet. <clears throat> salon suites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's different. So, like, how it's set up is, like, because I, I obviously have a wife and a daughter. It's, like, there's a bunch of suites that have mm-hmm. different businesses inside that pay you rent. Yeah. To yep. have so their business So, you're basically there. like a landlord. You're the landlord of so, a bunch of businesses. But it's, it's all right. But it's, what exactly is it? It's nail salon. It's, uh. Stylists, barbers, lash techs, estheticians. Oh, just everything. Yeah. Like, uh, people doing facials. Could have a barbershop in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the lash tech thing. How, how big, how big is the, the space? It's as big as this spot. It's the exact same size as this spot. So about thirty four hundred square feet. Okay. And we've got so 20, it's just like just a, like there. just a bunch of yeah. Okay. So that's an interesting model. I don't think it, they have that in New York. Yeah, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. They do. They have them all over. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say the last tech thing is something that's well. The last tech thing is is a <laughs> is a pandemic within itself. <laughs> They going too far with that, man. They going too far. It's a big shot. business, though. No, a lot of money can be made. A they lot put, of money's being made. They put mink on their eyes and all that. But even well, okay, all of that stuff is still service based businesses where it's like people, especially black people, they get their nails done, they get their eyelashes done, they get their haircut stuff like that. And mm-hmm. for a long time, especially the nail industry, is run by people that's not black, mm-hmm. and that's been a big thing. So was that part of your decision making? Like you knew that you know there was a need for it, and. Did you think I, being a black business owner, did that come into play? Like, you know, I might as well do it. They might support me more than the alternative. Um, salon suites in the beauty industry is very popular here. So it was kind of like a no brainer to me. I was really just looking for like some good daytime money that would be headache free because doing the restaurants is very stressful. Um, it's a lot of details. You know, it's one of the hardest industries to be in. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, your money goes through so many hands before it gets to yours. Um, so you've got a lot of room for theft there. Um, and there's just so many different things, you know, that you have to, you know, like with these restaurants, I literally, I probably get about 200 emails a day. We get group me, um, like in this group me right now, I've only been sitting here with you guys for this little short period of time. And I probably have a million messages as you see. And that's all for the rest. That's all for the restaurant. These are all for the restaurants. Only one is this one little remedy salon suites. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So (laughs) um, I wanted something that would be some good headache free. Um, And that girl that manages remedy salon suites, she rarely ever calls me. Um, But some good little headache free money. I knew that it would be successful because like also, like I said, I do those business consultations. So I got a lot of people that, 
Um, I've helped do businesses and things of that nature. And so a lot of the girls that came there, they said they wanted to be there so they could kind of be around me. I do free business consultations for the, for the suite owners okay. to help them improve their businesses. Uh, but, you know, we live in a city where in this city, you know, people are really interested in their appearance, you know, and wanting to look good mm-hmm. and things of that nature. That's so, um, and salon suites have become more and more popular because people have wanted to get around the salon, mo- away from the salon model. Um, like me, like when I get my hair braided, the girl actually comes to my, to my house. But before I, I was able to find somebody that would do that, I love going to a salon suite because I don't like talking to a lot of people when I go to the salon, you know? Yeah. And especially now that I'm more well-known, you know, people are going to be asking me a bunch of questions and all of this stuff. And then, like, during these times of COVID, people would rather get those services done in a salon suite yeah. where it's just you and that one person yeah. versus being around a bunch of now, people in a busy salon. Now I'm thinking about it. Like, you go to one. You actually go to a salon suite, right? Because Bubs has a barbershop, but yeah. upstairs well, you, is a like bunch I, of different you know, ones. Because you go to the barbershop on a Saturday, and it's like a bunch of random mm-hmm. people talking about nonsense, and they're yeah. lying and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, me, it's just like, I don't got time to be waiting. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I, me exactly and my barber, shout out to Bubs. We got a special relationship. I go there every Thursday, 9 o'clock in the morning. Get me done and I'm out. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that's actually, but it's COVID is, is actually interesting too because it's like now, so from a safety standpoint, it's a lot safer mm-hmm. to just be you and the person that you're dealing with, whether it's nails, whatever, as opposed to like 500 people just like, just waiting. But let me ask you this as far as the clubs and, and the lounges because Atlanta has a bunch of clubs and lounges and I always wondered what makes one club popular over the other club, right? Because it's like, so many clubs open and close all the time. Obviously, you know, it's marketing and you have a big name attached to it with chains. But in your opinion, as a club owner, as a lounge owner, what separates the elite clubs, lounges from the ones that's just struggling? Um, I think is number one, like, so like mine um, are a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> even though we have the association with chains, probably that the only one that that really makes a difference is that Escobar downtown location. Um, but like, I don't base mine off of celebrities and different things of that nature. So like, you know, you have a lot of these clubs that, um, their main thing is they, they're, they have to book artists. You know what I'm saying? I never get into that type of stuff. You know, I like to provide a good vibe, a good atmosphere and good food, you know, at my establishment. So mine are more lounge based versus club based, you know, with the clubs, a lot of times they only open two, three days a week, you know, and you can't afford to have no off night. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But when you open seven days a week, you can afford for one or two nights to be slower. You know what I'm saying? Um, so for my spots, people primarily come for the food and they come for the vibe. Yeah. I got. I mean, speaking of the Escobar Lounge, this is like one of the craziest stories, part of your stories that I, I thought was like, huh? The Escobar family is trying to fight yeah. you for the name? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. huh? Exactly. Like, what is that even about? Crazy. And I think that happened um, during the pandemic. We were on TMZ a lot. We were on the shade room a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment that we decided to open up our lounge, uh, to open Escobar back up, it was a really big deal. Um, two chains got drugged for it. You know what I mean? Um, just like, because, you know, a lot of black people were kind of like, you know, oh, you know, they shouldn't be letting y'all open so soon. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they trying to kill the black people. <laughs> <laughs> he only, Kemp only doing it because he want to kill the black people. And, and and then, you know, we had our mayor, uh, shout out to our mayor, Keisha Lance Keisha, Bottoms, yep. um, who was very opposed, you know, to the businesses opening. She actually contacted us and asked us not to open. And, you know, so we had already made a decision to open, and that was on the shade room. Um, Two Chains got a lot of shade for that. 
And so then we decided not to open. We ended up feeding the homeless, uh, using the restaurant to feed the homeless for a couple of weeks. And then we opened back up. And so all of this stuff was just detailed, you know, on Shade Room and on, on TMZ. And I think that that's what got the attention of the Escobar family. And I just think they kind of fishing for something. Yeah, I'm, I, I read it. I'm like, his brother? Like, what? Yeah. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, I ain't care. I just went to the school and stayed Escobar's old mansion. The irony of it. <laughs> That's a boss. That's so a real boss. article had came out that Friday. I was in Tulum that Monday at this man mansion kicking it. <laughs> this is a general right here. <laughs> so, so as far as your business model, like, you, you got a bunch of different businesses do you look to say, okay, I'm just, I'm good at this, so let's just open more lounges, more restaurants? Or, like, yeah. what's, your, what's your strategy to, like, when you keep opening new businesses? Is it kind of, like, just piggybacking yeah, off of what you're currently like, have? I feel like I have the blueprint down, and I can continue to do this. You know, as long as I pick the right locations, um, I just feel like it's, like, no stopping me. You know what I mean? Um, I, like, because, so, like, for example, I had originally wanted to um, – expand into like the south florida area and i'm glad that i didn't because now like this is a good time to like kind of like look at this pandemic and see how various cities you know are operating so now for me i would expand to like a houston or something like that so like if something like this ever happened again you know i know like how to move how to move. so i mean prior you, you said or previously you said that um the restaurant business is a headache in itself mm-hmm. so then why open more restaurants because i love it um i make great money um uh, really, really good money. Um, more money than I ever thought I would make in life. I make what most people make in a year and one week. You know what I'm saying? So when you're doing something like that, um, you can't help but to continue doing it. Um, I continue to find good people and good help. I've turned my businesses into a full-fledged company, Dillard Hospitality Group. Mm-hmm. Um, I continue to learn how to do things properly in the right way um, to avoid lawsuits and different things of that nature. And um, I just feel like as long as that I have help and I have different people in different positions, like I said, I, I go out of town every two weeks. You know what I mean? So, so and I'm opening three businesses at the same so time. So, what, what, what's the Dillard Hospitality Group? I saw, the, I saw the T-shirt. Yeah, so that's my hospitality group that pretty much houses all of the restaurants. Um, so I have a corporate office. Um, well, shout out to my uh, videographer. Uh, she's one of the individuals there. My um, director of operations, who's basically right up under me. So he manages the, he, so the, the GMs, they manage the actual restaurant. They manage all of the employees in the restaurant. Um, my director of operations, he manages the GMs and I manage the director of operations. Some of the GMs don't even have my telephone number. That's interesting because I feel like you're a very interesting person because you have a street side, but you also have a corporate side as well. Like you went to one of the best colleges in America Mm -hmm. And you actually were a financial advisor. So obviously you have business, like not only just street business, but like general business. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you obviously were in the street as well for a certain period of time. So be like your business model that you just broke down. I don't really think that there's probably too many restaurateurs or club owners or promoters or whatever that actually have like a board of directors, like like a a set corporate structure. The white ones, but not... Um, not what I'm saying ones, as far you know as, like, you know what I mean? It's like, and a lot of, you know, the black ones, they really don't don't want to pay the money. You know what I'm saying? Like, I make about $80,000 a week. I could make $100,000 a week, but guess what? I'd rather take that eighty and have me a life to go live. You know what I'm saying? And I enjoy providing opportunities for other people. Hmm. So was that something that you came in the game right away with that business mindset? Like, okay, yes, I'm going to have yet, this structure. Yep. 
always knew that I wanted to, once that Hookah Hideaway one was successful, I knew that I wanted to do more, and I knew that I would need more people to help me. And so um, I researched and, and found out what positions I would need, what's the name of them, what their job description is. And just as I started making more and more money, I started replacing myself in different areas because guess what? Once upon a time, I was doing all of this stuff on my own. My phone, you see, my phone ain't run. I want since we've been here. Because guess what? Don't nobody have my telephone number. (laughs) So the only way they can reach me is that group me or email. But I was just having this conversation with my girlfriend because (laughs) I had seen y'all standing outside. And I was like, is that them? I was like, why are they standing outside? Why ain't nobody helped them? (laughs) And so I'm just like, is Mo there? And so I was just like, I was telling her, I was like, I was like, dang, I wish I had more numbers. She was like, baby, you ain't got more. Like, no, no, nobody got my telephone number. Shout out to Mo. But, uh, but yeah, but if that wasn't the case, I wouldn't be able to do things like do these interviews. I wouldn't yeah. be able to do things like do business consultations. I wouldn't be able to be a mother to my daughter. You know, I wouldn't be able to be in relationships and, and not be stress-free. You but know I think I think that, Because I, my phone would be ringing off the hook with every little issue and problem well, I think, that was happening. I think it's important to highlight, especially for black businesses, because they said like COVID-19 has wiped out 50% of black businesses across America. It's like a economic crisis. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them was brick and mortar. But a reason why I think a lot of businesses fail, it's a variety of different reasons, but a lot of times there's a difference between having a hustle and having a business. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're hustling, you don't really have systems in place. Yep. And yeah. I feel like, you know, you like kind of breaking that down, explaining that can kind of give people some idea that you can't just do everything yourself. Like you can't mm-hmm. be the, the restaurant owner and then wipe the tables and then fry the fish. Like, you know, at first <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, but it's important to reinvest in your business. Yeah, like- and I'm pretty sure that that's one of the reasons why your businesses have been successful. Mm-hmm. It's not just because, like you said, you know, it's popping and you got, you know, two chains and, and you got the buzz, but. You got the business structure, yeah. business structure down. So can you just kind of just tell people how important that is? Because like I said, there's a lot yeah, of entrepreneurs yes, that I, listen I to us. I speak about that a lot. You know, you have to have your systems in place. Um, and one of the things, you know, my director of operations, one of the things that he brought to the table, and it was funny because he was just my publicist when I first met him. There was another guy that was supposed to be my director of operations that kind of stabbed me in the back and ran off and opened up his own restaurants and stuff. But he came in and kind of listened to everything I was saying and put it on paper. You know what I mean? So now we have job titles and job descriptions all on paper. We've got a company manual. So it's just like, it's so much easier to bring people on. It's so much easier to replace people. We know what everybody is supposed to be doing, what their hours need to be, what their pay needs to be. You know what I mean? And so that's another reason why I'm able to able to open up so many businesses at one time. You know, even these, I did three in one year. You know what I mean? I did, I did Crave. I did this spot and Esco South all in the same year. You know what I mean? And then this year during a pandemic, I'm doing two remedies and Esco Seafood. And it's because not only do I have all these people on the team, but we got these systems in place. So it's like everybody know, like they already was doing stuff. I ain't even told them. You know what I mean? yeah, read They're the manual. Like, you know, read the manual, baby. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so. so you have a manual. Mm-hmm. Like McDonald's, like absolutely. Because the people don't know that, like you open a McDonald's, you just can't wing it. Like they got even yeah. how you yeah, fold you the napkins, the like, you got to yep. follow the franchise mm-hmm. rules. That's interesting. That how, some- how, how many employees do you have? Um, I just did an interview before y'all, and I was trying to think about this. Okay. I would say uh, maybe about three hundred at this. Three hundred, mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. Is franchising something you you're thinking about in the yes. future? Uh huh. Yeah. Good. That's good. All right. So. I know that creating the nightlife or the, the after hours uh, lounge was an old goal of yours. Mm-hmm. What's the new goals? 
my new goals are more like personal goals, man. I want to get married. I want to have more kids. Um, I'm looking to buy my dream house um, between now and the end of this year. That's <clears throat> actually a really big goal of mine. Me and Two Chains were talking about that the other day. He was like, you know, that's the only thing you miss. And, you know, it's like, you know, your dream house or whatever. So I um, want to do that. And um, just, you know, be able to continue to, like, have opportunities for other people and give back. You know what I mean? I'm in a place to really be able to give back to people and mm-hmm. not have to worry about how this is going to be paid, how that is going to be paid. And for so many years, that was my life. You know what I mean? A lot so of us. Many years, <laughs> I couldn't really travel, you know, the way that I wanted to because I didn't have these systems in place. So um, a lot of mine is more so, you know, now focusing on my own personal goals because I gave so much of my life to you know opening and running these businesses yeah. so i mean speaking of giving back i know you're, you're i don't know if it has it started your own nonprofit. yeah it's called her impact foundation and so we do like right now we're doing a, a backpack drive um that's going on into the end of the month um, we've collected over 100 backpacks uh filled with school supplies and different things of that nature um, I'm going to donate some laptops um, to some schools as well, you know, because I know that, you know, now they're switching to the, you know, online. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, they don't have their own laptop, you know what I mean? And so some of the schools are trying to provide them and some schools have the budget for them and some don't, especially with, you know, what they've experienced, you know, with COVID. So um, we do that. We feed the homeless all the time. Um, we do uh, Friendsgiving during Thanksgiving. Um, we do a charity during Christmas. Um, for my birthday, I actually, we had to cancel it because my birthday is April 3rd, so it was right in the midst of this. But um, I turned 35 this year, so I was going to um, take 35 uh, young women um, upstairs and, you know, pay for them to be pampered, you know, up there. And um, so I'm always just kind of like trying to think of little different things that I can do to give back and, you know, make my impact. That's dope. No, that's that's powerful. That's and like just being in Atlanta, since we're in Atlanta, I want to just speak about this briefly. It's like it's a different city, like compared to anywhere else. Like we from New York or anybody else anywhere in the country. Can you just speak about like how like cause me it's encouraging? Like I come to Atlanta and it's like, oh, this is the largest dump truck company owned by a black guy, or this every every business is black owned mm-hmm. business. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for what's your thoughts on the city of Atlanta and um yeah, maybe yeah, so like, like you know, like we were saying, you know, I'm not originally from here, so I've been living here. It'll be 11 years, you know, the end of this year, and I was, I was just, you know, extremely inspired. You know, like I never had a business that made millions of dollars, you know, before I moved here, and the ones that I had, other than that newspaper company, I couldn't even get formed legally because of, you know, some of the racism and things of that nature, you know, that I was experiencing in the city hall and uh, different things of that nature. So. To come to a city like Atlanta, number one, um, I had never experienced it. Just a city where, you know, you see so many black people driving luxury vehicles. Um, I wasn't even used to even having a valet all the time. <laughs> I'm out here trying to be cheap. You know, and so, I'll park around the um, corner. <laughs> another thing about it is that, you know, other black people, instead of hating on these people, are actually inspired. You know That's what I'm a saying? Fact. Yeah, and yeah. So, like, even on my IG, I get tons of messages daily of just, you know, people telling me how inspired they are about me and different things of that nature. And, you know, I'm kind of a loud, flashy person. So, of course, every now and again, <laughs> somebody is hating or something like that. But, you know, you really don't get much of that. And a lot of the people here that are successful, they really support each other. You know, um, most of us know each other. Um, 
I got one of them group meets right now. It's all of the club owners and restaurant owners. You know, we came together at the beginning of this pandemic because we didn't really know how we was going to make it. We didn't know it was going to turn out like this. We didn't know they was going to start giving out money like it was apple pies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that SBA we thing didn't know that. crazy. Yeah, we didn't know that, you know, the city was going to open back up so soon and that we were going to be okay. And, you know, we still had this group meet and help each other out. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So um, I think that's a big thing. You know, it's a lot of inspiration here. There's a lot of events and seminars and you know people that that are successful they put together um you know like little different things so people other people to be able to come out and learn how they can be successful as well so i had never had stuff like that in nashville never even known of things like that in nashville but here you got stuff like that going on all the time mm-hmm. yeah and it's crazy like our mutual friend alex good energy mm-hmm. so you know, him and his whole crew, uh, Mr. Two Weeks Out, him 500, shout out to all of the, those guys. And again, every week, they like Neo Davis, they meet like once a week and they just share different mm-hmm. ideas. And I was just telling my friend Jamal, I'm like, yo, this is dope. Like, yeah. Cause, like, a I, lot ju- I just paid $5,000 to do him 500's class next month. You okay. Know what I mean? I'm like, I don't know everything. He's still learning. Still I learning. Yeah. You know, I got yeah. money, but he ain't spending. He is. He's using his credit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I what's going on. Yeah. yeah. That's dope. Nah, that's but dope. it's dope, man. It's power. It's power in that. And yeah. it's like, you know, a lot of times, especially coming from New York, we like real cynical people. And it's like, nah, I don't like this person. We really got a New York state of mind. Yeah, that's a fact. And even with the music, I could see like, I think that's really helped Atlanta. It's like they work together. Yep. And there's, there's power in that instead of just trying to be cliquish, yeah. like trying to find fault in what this person is doing. Like mm-hmm. we, we go a lot further if, if we, we move as a unit. Yeah. I, I feel like your legacy is being cemented. Like this, your story is incredible. Tell me how it feels now that your daughter's coming of age and it, are she, is she interested in running these businesses and how proud of that's you to hand it down to her? she's going to do. I'm extremely proud um, of that. I'm extremely proud of her. I'm almost about to like shed a couple of tears now. But um, yeah, because, you know, she originally kind of wanted to do her own thing and um, I didn't, didn't talk her out of it or anything like that, but she started off just having a job doing the social media. And so um, just being around and, you know, of course, like when I come home, my business hat comes off. So, you know, I'm not telling her about nothing. And so she didn't even realize like how people looked at me or viewed me mm-hmm. until she started working for me and being in the businesses. And now she just even admires me more. Of course, you know, she knows that I'm her mother, but, you know, she realizes like who I am and what I've done and the platform that I'm on and, you know, she's proud, you know, to wear a Dillard Hospitality Group shirt. That's her last name, you know what I'm saying? And to have a company that, you know, can be passed down to her, you know. So that's really, that's the best thing about it, you know what I mean? That's what you do it for so that this is something that can feed generations to come, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So um, definitely, like, extremely proud of that. And she's really good, you know, at it already. She's running your social media? Yeah, she runs all of the social media. You she know, doesn't run my personal. Oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I was no, on yours. Yeah, no, no. She doesn't run my the personal. The businesses, the business, the business ones. All of the business ones, yeah. and then she's also started. So she just turned twenty, um, but she started doing like learning, you know, some shiftly managerial things, oh, okay. how to close mm-hmm. and um, open the restaurants and different things of that nature. That's, no, that, that's a feeling that I, I, I really. Which everybody could feel at least one time. Like, you know, it's just a it's a proud feeling as a parent. Like I have a son, he's nine, and you know, he played basketball. And so we we rented a house in LA, the whole the whole podcast crew. And um we had we was in I brought our families to LA. So I'm trying to work out with him like on his game while we in LA. 
He's like giving me pushback. Like, I don't want to work out. Da, da, da. So I'm telling him, I'm like having a conversation. Like, yo, if you want to go to the NBA, because they always tell you want to go to the NBA. I'm okay. like, you want to go to the NBA, you got to practice every day. Like, you're not just going to get there by accident. So he's like, I don't want to go to the NBA anymore. So I'm like, all right, you don't have to. I'm like, so, I'm like, so what do you want to do? He's like, I want to do what you do. So you know what I'm saying it's like it's a dope it feeling. So yeah, exactly. I'm like, all right, you get to play video games now. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, we talk about entrepreneurship, and you know, it's dope to make money, and it's dope. But it's like the family legacy is extremely, and it's, it's something like you know, it's, it's one thing like you you can't pass a job down to your family. Like you can, but you know, it's it's always politics involved. You you know, you got a boss, so it's like if you are the boss, the sense of pride that your children have in you is a little different, you know? So I, that's something for people to yeah. think about. And our kids, they, I mean, they're always around each other. So, like, to hear their conversations, like, oh, my dad is on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, that's a big cute. deal to them. It's, it's, like, it makes it really proud because they look at Ernie Elysia like, is this? And it is. Like, we're not working for and us. Like, when they ask, you know, when people ask them, like, who their role models are, and yeah, are yeah. you know, it, exactly. they're going to name us, you know what I mean? Yeah, so. nah, nah. Snoop, that's, it's been a pleasure. Um, anything that you would like to make the people aware of or let them know, what, do you have anything going on? New new yeah. business ventures, anything like that? Um, Mobile apps or anything like know, that? We talked about the new business ventures, but, you know, if anybody wants to find me, I'm on Instagram at who is Snoop. Um, like I mentioned, um, I also, during the pandemic, I filmed, uh, six different courses, three of which are free courses. I would highly recommend. I literally beg people during the pandemic to invest in the stock market because a lot of the stocks were down. Um, I knew that this was a man-made recession and that as soon as the economy started to bounce back, as it's starting to do, that there would be a lot of earnings. And so um, definitely encourage people to you know, invest and just get that knowledge. There's so much knowledge out there, and, and YouTube is, is definitely one of those places to go to. But my course site is um, courses.whoissnoop.com. Um, my website, just to kind of hear more about my story, my businesses, and the things that I have going on, is whoissnoop.com as well as dillardhospitalitygroup.com. What's your, what's your, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. What's your, um, your strategy for stock investing? You have a set strategy, or uh, so I'm a long term, long term buy buy and hold. Yeah, I don't do a lot of the. I reinvest my dividends. Okay. Um, I also have a financial advisor. Okay, okay. Um, so I have quite a bit of money, almost a million dollars in the stock market. So um, any particular I, sector, I, I like tech, tech, or one thing that I would encourage people to do, yes, tech, tech is, is yeah. definitely tech is big right now. Apple, Microsoft. Google, um, Amazon, Tesla, Google, Tesla. Amazon, yeah. of course, Tesla. Those are some of the main ones, but it's a lot of other little ones like Gap stock is good right now. Um, what else? There's, there's a there's a lot of different ones. I've I've done good with a few of the airline stocks. You know what I mean? Um, especially for somebody like me that's going to buy and hold. Buy and hold. You know, you're you not so not day trading. You got yeah. day traders. You got people to do options. You got. One of my boys, I don't know if you guys know Black Rob in Nashville, um, who owns Minerva and The Weekend. Um, but uh. he hit me like, Snoop, you do options? I made 17 grand a day off of <laughs> Tesla. I put yeah. options in the last Options is the way. So, that's the um, I'm, I'm always looking for new things as well. You okay. know what yeah. I mean? But um, for somebody like me that's as busy as I am, I don't have time to sit and do Forex. <laughs> I don't have time to sit and do day trading. Yeah. Um, I... You know, sometimes have time to look up little different stocks and stuff like that. Um, but I utilize my financial financial advisor. But um, two things, tips that I do want to give people before I get out of here um, of ways that you can save um, and invest. One of the ways to save um, that I did is, number one, cut your debit card up. So um, a lot of times, like when people go out or they go places, 
you know, you get that debit card and you just get to swiping, you know what I'm saying? But like you go out, you know, go to the ATM, take you, you know, $100, $200 out the bank. I don't know how much fun you're trying to have for the night. And then once that's over, you ain't got your debit card. You have no way to even be able to spend more money, you know. So um, that's that's a really big thing, you know. It's the hardest part is saving your first $100,000. But once you do that, it's so much easier, you know. You'll, you'll see your money continue to accumulate and, and kind of almost get to the point where you're kind of obsessed with it, you know what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, that's, that's definitely one thing. Um, two, on the investing side, uh, one of the ways that I've been able to accumulate my portfolio to get as big as it has been is that I automatically invest each month. And so that's what I call paying myself first. So um, I make sure that it comes immediately out of my checking or savings account and goes into my investment account. And, you know, you get to the point that, you know, you don't even miss it. You don't even see it. Of course, you know, you want to do your budget first and see what it is that you can afford to actually invest. But um, those are just two things that I want to leave y'all with, um, as well as the other, you know, knowledge we just talked about. Uh, but thanks for having me, guys. Nah, like thanks said, for having us. This is, this is, I, mean, I, I appreciate yeah. meeting y'all. Um, for sure. Like I said, Dope. I've watched a couple of the episodes, and so <laughs> Mo was like, earn your leisure. I normally don't do things on Friday, and especially not this late. So Ooh. I was just like, man, uh, I, I got to do that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank appreciate you for having you. us. Appreciate you, man. Troy, some housekeeping items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. That is our Proud to Pay program. Obviously, you know Tier 4 and 5 members. You have access to EYL University the number one online school in the world. Uh, we have our book club there that's hosted by myself. We have Breaking Bread Sessions with our brother, MG, the mortgage guy. Um, and the group is just growing, man. A lot of investment tips are in there. I know uh, we've, we've been driving some gems in, in the options game, so shout out to everybody that's on there. And shout out to everybody that's uh, supporting the merch. Uh, we, we are going to be dropping some 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 really cool things in, in, the, in the very near future. So yeah, be on the lookout for shout, that. Shout out to Atlanta once again. Um, we was on an 85 South show yesterday. Yeah, the shout bros. Out. They 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 had some jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that to drop. Yeah, yeah. Shout out shout out to them, man. And um yeah, once again, make sure you subscribe, like, comment on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all of that. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Um and yeah, we will see you guys next yeah, week. Yeah, happy birthday to our brother, Jamal, man. Happy oh, birthday, yeah, yeah, bro. That's a fact. Happy birthday, man. Yeah, Atlanta gonna treat us we right. Gonna, we're gonna turn up tonight. So we got we got, we, we need a spot. We're yeah. gonna need a spot. We're gonna need a spot. We talk after this. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Peace. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.